Chapters sixty one and sixty two of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixty one at bay. Edmund's strong arm clasped Sylvia closer to his breast. My dearest, what need of alarm? he whispered. I am yours to the end of life. Then, turning to Shadrach Bain, he exclaimed angrily, Pray, sir, what is the meaning of this most unwarrantable intrusion? unwarrantable perhaps though if i had been inclined that way i might have come with a magistrate's warrant and a detective officer you have reason to thank me for this intrusion mr standon and to thank providence that i am here in time to prevent your marriage with that lady that you will never do sir let your audacity go as far as it may stand out of the way if you please mr bain and let us pass to the altar if you value your future peace you had better hear what i have to say first said shadrach bain with undisturbed coolness perhaps this gentleman glancing at the incumbent who had come from the chancel to ascertain what was wrong would be good enough to allow us a few minutes private conversation in the vestry unless lady perriam would like me to speak out before every one what can you have to say asked sylvia looking up at him great heaven what a blanched death-like face she lifted from the shelter of her lover's breast from brow to lip white as her bridal veil cannot you guess lady perriam demanded mr bain with a threatening significance in his tones before mr standon makes you his wife and takes the burden of your encumbrances on his shoulders i should like for his sake his father was a good friend to my father and i've a natural interest in his welfare on that account before the knot is tied i should like to ask you a few questions about the brother-in-law you shut up in a madhouse the other day sylvia stretched out her hands as if to stop that awful accuser who confronted her with a countenance of stone she had cheated and disappointed him and mr bain had no mercy for people who did either he was implacable against the woman who had done both pray let us go into the vestry she cried in piteous appeal to the clergyman father stay where you are let this man say what he pleases against me it is only a tissue of lies but i don't want everybody to hear me insulted edmund can defend me edmund will stand by me yes till death she said this with an air of defiance that was almost noble she flung herself again upon her lover's breast as if that were her strong rock the clerk led the way to the vestry looking infinitely shocked at this disturbance sylvia edmund and mr bain following here with the door shut upon them they could say what they liked without creating a scandal in the church the clergyman and mr carew remained in the aisle bewildered i fear there will be no wedding to-day said the incumbent pshaw my dear sir a mere passing cloud i know something of this man the late sir aubrey perriam's land steward a self-seeking fellow who was allowed to exercise a great deal too much power during my son-in-law's life i always suspected him to be a scoundrel thus spoke mr carew with a mind ill at ease mr bain was too prudent a man to make a disturbance of this kind without being tolerably sure of his ground and sylvia's white face had been a mute confession of guilt what it might all mean james carew felt powerless even to conjecture but he feared it must mean something bad an intrigue perhaps or a broken promise of marriage the vestry door was shut and those three were alone mr bain had left his satellite john sadgrove in the church porch ready to be of use in the event of his being wanted well sir said edmund sternly we are alone what have you to say to us 
and pray what do you mean by asserting that this lady's brother-in-law has been shut up in a madhouse at her instigation no gossip from monkhampton had reached edmund since his departure his letters from the bank had been of a purely business character his mother had written to him only once a letter full of anger and bitterness in which she renounced all kindred with him he knew nothing therefore of mordred's removal from parium place an event which had been sufficiently discussed within a forty-mile radius of monkhampton i state the simple truth that mordred parium was removed from the house in which he had lived a harmless irreproachable life for the last thirty years removed at an hour's warning by this lady and confined in a private lunatic asylum sylvia exclaimed edmund look up and tell me that this fellow is a liar does she look like denying it sneered mr bain pointing to the pallid face with its half-closed eyelids and agonized lips which was slowly turned to the light of day it is true that mordred is in a private asylum said sylvia i did not like to tell you edmund it was such a dreadful calamity to speak about and it might have set you against me but it was at that man's advice i had mordred removed from parium he is a liar if he denies that i do deny that i ever directly advised you to incarcerate mordred parium returned mr bain unflinchingly i told you what people said about him i told you that people wanted to know why he had been kept a prisoner in his own rooms hardly permitted to breathe the air of heaven ever since his brother's death i warned you of the scandals that were circulating against you and i asked you for your own sake to let me see mordred parium and assure myself that he was not shut up in his rooms at parium place under watch and ward of a nurse against his will that he was not imprisoned to serve any purpose of yours let me be sure of this i said to you and i will give the lie to any one who dares to traduce you i will be your champion and defender what was your answer to my request lady parium an eminently practical one the day after i said this to you mordred parium was taken away from the home of his ancestors in the keeping of a madhouse doctor without an hour's pause for consideration or advice without help or counsel from any living creature you smuggled your dead husband's brother into an obscure asylum sylvia is there one word of truth in this man's charge against you cried edmund looking down at that terror-stricken face whose awful pallor sent a thrill of terror to his heart only by some indication of guilt in herself could he believe her guilty the words of her accuser would have seemed to him idle as the faint breathings of the summer wind but for that dreadful look in her changed face which betrayed so abject a terror in the heart whose wild beating he felt against his breast speak sylvia he entreated speak my love and give this fellow the lie tell him that your brother-in-law was not smuggled into an asylum that there was no undue haste no secrecy that you were fully justified in all you did i was justified she answered meeting her lover's searching look with a gaze as steadfast with eyes that would have looked in the face of death just as calmly her terror was vanquished now ruin was before her perhaps but the nervous force the indomitable courage which had sustained her so long had returned to her once more every vestige of youthful bloom had faded from lip and cheek her face had aged by ten years in hue and expression but her eyes shone their brightest and her pallid lips were firmly set defying misery and shame i was justified she repeated the doctor to whom i confided mr parium was a doctor recommended by that man two medical men certified his insanity everything was done fairly and openly yes openly 
i was not bound to give mr bayne notice of my intention he is not my master tell me why you took this sudden resolve of sending mr perriam to a madhouse asked edmund somewhat reassured by her bolder manner but still feeling that there was some deeper meaning in her agitation than a woman's natural shrinking from a false charge had he become suddenly violent shall i tell you why lady perriam had him smuggled into a madhouse mr stanton asked shadrach bayne no sir i ask no question of you i seek no information from you i address my inquiry to the lady who will presently be my wife you had better spare yourself the trouble said the agent with a short laugh you'll never get lady perriam to answer that question i'll tell you why she put poor harmless mordred out of the way a man who was no more demented than i am she did it because he knew her secret knew that her husband sir aubrey came to an untimely death at her hands sylvia gave a shriek and dropped to the ground at her lover's feet with her arms extended above her head in adjuration as surely as there is a god whose justice i have offended that is a black and bitter lie she cried her eyes gazing solemnly upward as if she would indeed invoke divinity to witness her truth i am guiltless of my husband's blood if you did not murder him you planned his murder said shadrach bayne i dare say you were too dainty a lady to do the business yourself so you got your tool and sycophant mrs carter to take the dirty work off your hands it is false all false cried sylvia still on the ground edmund raised her to her feet held her as he had held her before encircled and defended by his arm if we were not in a church mr bayne i should knock you down he said coolly as it is i'll only ask you to walk out of this room a little quicker than you came into it for fear i should be tempted to forget that the building is sacred shall i go away mr standen and leave you to marry this lady would it not be just as well to put her to the test first postpone your wedding till to-morrow and come with me to unearth mr perriam the place where my lady has sent him is only an hour's journey from london see sir aubrey's brother for yourself if there is no secret if there has been no foul play i'll make the most profound apology to that lady for having done her so deep a wrong but at the worst there will not be much harm done the postponement of the ceremony intended for to-day can be of very little consequence if you are but in the same mind to-morrow let it be so said edmund decisively after a moment's thought we will delay our marriage till to-morrow sylvia and i will devote to-day to the proof of this man's calumny you will not go with him cried sylvia wildly the old look of terror coming back to her face you will not go with him edmund to do that is to acknowledge your belief in his slander you cannot surely believe i believe nothing against you dearest but there is only one way of meeting such a scandal as this and that is to unearth its falsehood i will go to the asylum with mr bayne i will see and speak with your supposed victim and i will demonstrate your innocence from any wrong towards him before i come back to you edmund pleaded sylvia desperately slipping from her lover's breast to his feet where she knelt a piteous spectacle of self-abasement edmund if you ever loved me do not go i love you too well to suffer your good name to rest under a cloud that i can dispel contemptible as the slander may be the lie must be made manifest you are going then she asked despairingly i am going sylvia release me as she clung about his knees my dearest love your humiliation is more painful to me than this man's accusation 
he freed himself from that despairing clasp opened the door and beckoned to mr carew who was waiting with an anxious face not far from the entrance to the vestry take care of your daughter he said take her home immediately and let no one intrude upon her till my return there will be no wedding to-day i shall be back in a few hours to explain everything are you really going edmund asked sylvia she stood by the door marble pale but with the calm of spent passion her breath came faintly and thickly and that was the only token of her agitation yes dear love i am going to vindicate your honour kiss me once more edmund before we part he was quick to obey the behest he clasped her to his heart and kissed lips and brow do you remember our parting kiss in headingham churchyard edmund a judas kiss you thought it afterwards for it heralded your betrayal kiss me once again trust me once again if only for an hour this is a bitterer farewell to me now go she put him from her with a firm gesture and went to her father's side once more mistress of herself let us go home papa she said taking mr carew's arm good-bye dearest whispered edmund remember it is only for a few hours i shall return to tell you that i have exploded this senseless slander or not return at all she answered in a slow sad voice with the dull quiet of despair go edmund we have loved each other very dearly but fate has been against us he looked at her wonderingly as if half fearing that her mind had lost its balance and then tore himself away she had spoken the truth this was indeed a more painful parting than their first farewell even though he thought to come back to her before the day was done thought that their wedding was only put off for twenty-four hours now sir he said to shadrach bane i am ready i've a cab waiting outside returned that gentleman coolly we shall catch the twelve o'clock train at king's cross sixty two who said let death come now tis right to die mr carew took his daughter back to the carriage sorely disturbed in mind and in profoundest darkness of spirit as to the cause of this disturbance the incumbent accompanied them to the carriage blandly sympathizing with lady perriam under these unpleasant circumstances a small sprinkling of nursemaids with perambulators and a fringe of street boys had gathered on the pavement before the church door having scented out a wedding despite the privacy which had attended lady perriam's arrangements the young women stared their hardest at the bride as she came into the open daylight with her veil gathered across her face sylvia's death-like pallor showed conspicuously through that transparent tissue and there were murmurs of wondering compassion at the whiteness of her face the small boys in the crowd commented freely upon the bride's pallid countenance and opined that she had been married to that skinny old bloke meaning mr carew against her wish not a word did sylvia utter during the brief drive to willoughby crescent she alighted without the help of her father's arm passed with a quick firm step into the hall and ran upstairs mr carew followed her and arrived breathless at the door of her boudoir just as she had reached it she turned and confronted him with angry eyes why do you follow me she exclaimed i want nothing except to be left alone but sylvia for mercy's sake tell me the meaning of all this unhappiness what brought that man bane to the vestry you will know soon enough cannot you leave me in peace for a few hours your wish has been gratified my marriage is postponed 
i should be glad of it if there were no trouble for you involved in the postponement why cannot you trust me your own father because you never acted a father's part towards me answered lady Perriam. i would sooner appeal to strangers for mercy or for aid than to you leave me to myself mr carew groaned faintly and drew back from the door which was shut in his face a moment afterwards shut and locked he heard the turning of the key but even after having excluded her father lady Perriam was not destined to be alone as she locked the door opening on the landing Celine emerged from the door of communication with the dressing-room where she had been engaged in her daily labours of tidying wardrobes and drawers but great heaven madame how you are pale exclaimed the girl struck by the change in the face which had been so fair an hour ago don't trouble yourself about my looks but take off these things as quickly as you can the girl who knew nothing of the interrupted wedding obeyed wondering not a little but afraid to question she took off the pearl-gray satin dress with its priceless spanish point two hundred years old the white satin slippers the muslin underskirts with their ruchings of brussels lace all the costly adornment upon which her mistress had bestowed such interest a few days ago sylvia flung them from her now with a shudder of aversion as if they had been more loathsome than cinderella's rags Celine was about to unfasten the slender gold chain which held edmund's last gift the diamond cross leave that where it is said sylvia stopping the girl's hand i shall wear that till i die is it possible that madame's mind wanders a little mused Celine. now give me the plainest dress i have said sylvia when all the bridal finery had been taken away but madame there is the travelling dress all ready for you to put on the dove colour and blue the bonnet the various gem mademoiselle marchette said it was an inspiration why not the travelling dress be good enough to do as i bid you give me my black cashmere the morning dress but madame to go into black again after the wedding it would bring you misfortune a look from lady Perriam stopped the girl's tongue she brought the sombre morning dress which made sylvia's face seem a shade more ghastly than it had done before that will do said sylvia and now you can go tell the household my marriage has been put off perhaps only till to-morrow possibly still longer you will see that my father has everything that he asks for i want a few hours rest and shall lie down don't disturb me till mr standon calls this afternoon mr standon is going to call they have not quarrelled then thought Celine. what can have happened to make her look so awful she ran downstairs to discuss this strange event with mrs stringfold as they had discussed the course of their mistress's brief courtship the other servants in the house were strangers with whom Celine had no sympathy they were left to wonder and speculate among themselves while mrs stringfold and Celine discoursed in the nursery with closed doors and a cold chicken and a bottle of champagne from the marriage feast wherewithal to regale themselves i don't believe there'll be any wedding breakfast at all said Celine. she wouldn't look as she does if the marriage was only put off for a day there's something deeper than that i never thought no good would come of it from the moment we went among them foreigners said mrs stringfold with conviction there must be something altogether wrong about people when their own native land isn't large enough for em sylvia sat alone in her misery sat in the centre of the room motionless like a lifeless figure that had been put there 
the broad midday sun streamed in at the window opposite her the ruthless sun which shines alike upon the just and the unjust the happy and the despairing once she lifted her eyes to that glad summer sky and thought how the sunlight and summer of her life had passed away for ever i have tried to be fortunate as well as happy tried to have all good things she reflected and in trying for too much have lost all i should have been a happy woman if i had been contented with a reasonable share of fortune satisfied in having won edmund's love ready to fight the battle of life with him she remembered her father's words on the night of sir aubrey's first visit to the schoolhouse there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune i took that tide at the flood she thought and it has drifted me to ruin she sat for an hour without change of attitude and in that hour the vision of days that were gone passed before her like an unfolded scroll a bitter retrospect the picture of a life in which self had reigned supreme and which had ended in deepest self-abasement she awakened from that long reverie at last looked at her watch found it was later than she had thought hurriedly put on her bonnet and mantle the crape bonnet with its large veil and narrow fold of white the mark of widowhood the loose cashmere mantle dressed thus with her veil down she was not likely to attract notice she took all the money she possessed and her diamond necklace out of her jewel-box and put them into a small morocco bag this bag was all she took with her she opened the boudoir door went out upon the landing and listened all was perfectly still in the house she went downstairs past the nursery where she heard the voices of celine and tringfold in earnest converse went by with hardly a sigh of regret for her child crossed the hall opened the street door softly and slipped out once in the street she flew along with light footsteps turned the corner of the crescent into a wide and busy road hailed the first cab she saw and stepped into it drive to the london bridge station she said brighton line she knew there were several ways of getting to france and that one way was by new haven and dieppe if she were followed her pursuers would most likely take it for granted she had gone by the dover and calais route by choosing the slower journey she would have a chance of escaping them supposing that any one took the trouble to follow her supposing that any one guessed she had gone to france at the station lady perriam found that there was a train which would start for lewis in half an hour and that she could get on with some little delay to new haven but at new haven she would have to wait till late in the evening before the boat started for dieppe she had no definite purpose in this flight no plan for the future no distant ray of hope beckoned her on she only wanted to escape the shame of the present not to hear edmund's voice accusing and renouncing her not to be brought face to face with her sin she wanted to go to some corner of the earth and die nameless and alone that self-love which had been the governing principle of her existence was just strong enough even in her despair to prompt her to provide herself with the jewels and money which would serve to sustain the life that had become hateful the train carried her to lewis where she had to wait a weary hour and a half before another train took her on to new haven a dismal pause in which that solemn scroll whereon her past life was recorded again unfolded itself and again she thought how sweet her days might have been had she asked for less had she been content to take her lot in blind submission from the urn of fate instead of trying to improve upon destiny all that day she had eaten nothing and for many past days had lived in a perpetual fever of hope and fear 
always vaguely dreading that something which might happen to frustrate her scheme of the future never able to repose in the calm assurance that providence would rule her life for the best by the time she took her place in the new haven train faintness increased almost to exhaustion a mist dimmed her eyes her limbs felt heavy and painful the landscape surged before her like a troubled sea she had just strength to get out of the railway carriage to follow a porter to the hotel but she had scarcely entered the sitting-room to which a chambermaid conducted her when she fell fainting to the ground the landlady was summoned and hearing that the unconscious traveller had no luggage and no attendant was only mildly sympathetic you had better get her to bed jane and send for the doctor said the hostess after various restoratives had been tried without effect she seems very bad End of chapters 61 and 62